Hello, welcome to episode 20 of Defense Against the Dark Arts. I'm Paul Mill, and this is Premise Evaluation. So we are now experts at evaluating the form of uh, arguments. But as we know that even valid arguments may not be sound arguments, depending on if the premises are true or not. This is the rub. A sound argument is a logically valid argument with true premises, and therefore it must be true, because we're talking about a valid argument. And a valid argument by definition is an argument where the claim has to be true if the premises are true. So how do we know if the premises are true? We have no actual lie detector that works in the real world regardless of what bogus apparatus you may or may not have been hooked up to for work, there is no functioning lie detector that can detect lies and can tell the truth. This is why they call it a polygraph. Poly means many and graph means diagrams or lines. It's just a machine that draws many lines. Polygraph, that's it. The rest is voodoo bogusness. It's voodoo that wouldn't hold up in court. It's just a modern version, not even that modern. It's just a quasi-modern version of reading tea leaves and chicken bones. Even body language experts cannot detect a lie. They can infer that someone may be agitated, uncomfortable, or maybe even being deceptive which you would think, well, maybe that's a lie, but we cannot read people's minds and we cannot know for sure why someone is tense tense, or agitated. Honest people have failed polygraphs and have been sentenced to death who were actually innocent. Tea leaves and chicken bones. So how do we know a premise is wrong? We don't. The best we can do is to suppose, but there are techniques that can help us see bad reasoning easier. So we evaluate and give our best guess as to what is the most plausible, which may not be the truth. As we know, it's critical for us to realize our evaluations of premises are tentative judgments for the sake of argument. We should resist the urge to cling to our judgments in the face of new evidence or to cling to our judgments regardless. It's a, it's a common thing for people to jump to a, a judgment because they made that judgment. They think that judgment is more powerful. It has more weight, which it does not. So if, if any technology existed that could detect the truth of any premise, science, philosophy, math, even religion would blow up to an unlimited knowledge base, and we would know all truths, which we clearly do not currently. (laughs) When evaluating premises here, we're no longer in the world of deductive truths and sound arguments. We're down the rabbit hole of assumptions, presumptions, and inductive maybes. We evaluate premises subjectively, as objectively as we can, We know their accuracy is currently not known. 
It is unknown, and this is the problem, and this is what we're trying to figure out. So we have to use our values and judge as plausible or not plausible. But we are not without tools. We just need to look closely for a moment at generalizations, counterclaims, counterexamples, vagueness, ambiguity, and a few other things I'll remember as we go along. <laughs> so our, our personal knowledge, your knowledge in your head, my knowledge in my head, uh, is our schemata. It's uh, compromised of all the concepts we've encountered and understood, as well as experiences we've had and filtered through our understanding, or we filtered our experiences through our current schemata. Obviously, our understanding and knowledge grows as we experience or learn new things. Not all knowledge, concepts, or experiences that can exist or will ever exist is now known, obviously, despite the narcissism of the superciliousness of some people. <laughs> Supercilious. Supercilious, for those of you who don't know, means arrogant, condescending, and contemptuous. <laughs> so don't think what I'm doing to you right now. Anyways, no. I went to school with this guy uh, named uh, Richard. We got along great. Uh, we were even in a band together, but I didn't realize he was uh, arrogant and condescending to all these kids from a certain part of town. Until they told me, I hung around, I hung around with everybody, you know, I didn't care, right? Everybody hung out with each other, and except for some people didn't. There was a little bit of cliques, but I wasn't in those cliques. I was, well, I guess I wasn't the cliques because I hung out with everybody. Anyways, so these guys told me that Rich was supercilious and called him superior man. <laughs> so at, at that point, I realized Rich was a piece of shit, but he got high marks and the teachers kissed his butt. So, you know. He took his fake British accent and eventually moved to England and scoffed at his rube upbringing. Uh, you know, this guy is probably wealthy, but he's, he's a failed human being, right? He, he incarnates what Benjamin Franklin revolted against. So let's hope the UK keeps him over there. Stay over there, Rich, please. But I digress. Schemata, knowledge base. We get our knowledge from concepts that we grasp and experiences and if you subscribe to what carl young is it jung or young i think it's young right jay i don't know was he swiss i think you say why for this anyway it doesn't matter carl young thought we have our collective unconsciousness or instincts so we have our knowledge from you know our concepts our experiences and according to young our collective unconsciousness or instincts. Now, if you think that's voodoo, clearly we have instincts, right? People have instincts. Birds have instincts. We have instincts. So that knowledge came from somewhere. Don't know. I don't know. I don't know where it came from. Genetics somehow stored in there. I don't know. But this is beyond the scope of this episode, of this discourse. I try to use the word discourse. It makes me feel smarter when I say it. Discourse. <laughs> Retard. Anyways, so long as I'm not supercilious, Richard. Uh, when we uh, when we question, uh, criticize, and doubt the truthfulness of a premise, our judgments are fallible, provisional, and subject to revision based on new evidence. All right. So we presume. What does presume mean? Presume means to accept something as true, although it is not known for certain. There is no proof to the contrary, and there is some reasonable evidence to make the inference. So what is 
assumption. Assumption is to accept as true or as certain with no proof or evidence. So we need to make presumptions of premises. We need to know what, in order to do that, we need to know what presume means because we don't want to assume. So presumptions are not objective truths or even subjective truths. They could be phantom connections. They probably will be, but not if you, if you realize they're, they're uh, tentative. So generalizations are not always wrong, but they do tend to be wrong in a lot of arguments. Why? Because people are making them up. A lot of arguments contain generalizations in their premises. If they are bogus generalizations, they may end up being suppressed premises because the arguer is trying to hide this inaccurate fictional generalization and perhaps even make the target follow the implication and connect the dots and make the, the supposition in their own minds so the target thinks they made this faulty generalization on their own. So suppressed premises are usually the most controversial premises or bogus premises and that's why they are suppressed. So we need to be careful about evaluating suppressed premises that are generalizations that we normally, of course, would not agree with. This is why it's a great idea to write out suppressed premises and examine their generalizations for accuracy. Sometimes you might even need to uh, Venn diagrams to figure it out. Let's take a look at some generalizations here that are all the same. So you have like all A are B, any A is a B, a or B, A are all B, no A are not B, only B are A. You know, if we have a circle of A inside a bigger circle of B, that, that's a Venn diagram for all of those ones I just described. So the class A is completely inside a larger class B. Now, if you don't know about Venn diagrams, don't worry, I'll stop talking about it. One might argue that uh, all generalizations are false stereotypes. This is not true. Not all generalizations are false stereotypes. And we need to, uh, of course, watch the content. For example, a rabbit is a rabbit is an animal. This is a generalization that all rabbits are animals. And that is a generalization that is true. A rabbit is in my yard. This is also saying what a rabbit is, but it is not in the same context. It is clearly not a generalization, and the meaning of a rabbit is has a different meaning. Arguing that these are the same meaning, which some people may do, is the fallacy of equivocation, or as I like to call it, the fallacy of ambiguosity. I like to say it, but I can't pronounce it. Ambiguosity, ambiguousness the fallacy of being ambiguous. So using words with multiple meanings that aren't equal, but are treated as if they were, I'll cover logical fallacies in a, uh, in a later episode. So we can figure out if a generalization is valid or not. So that is one thing to look for in premise evaluation. How can we figure out if a generalization is valid or not? You ask, well, if it's a generalization, we might be able to find counter examples. A generalization states all members of a class have the property. If we can find just one example of the class that does not have that property, we have refuted 
that premise and we can officially call bullshit. That one example that proves a generalization wrong is called a counterexample. For example, all cats have fur. A counterexample to refute that premise would be the Sphinx breed that is hairless. Boom, bosh. Destroyed. Right? There are different types of generalizations. Recognizing the different types of generalizations also helps us evaluate them. There's the conceptual generalization based on concepts that are based on the de definition of a concept of a thing. Like uh, a can is a cylinder made of some metallic alloy. All cans are made to hold something. So there are those two... Uh, these are generalizations that are uh, based on the concept of the definition of a can. So the concept of a can. And then there's empirical generalizations. Empirical means to observe, to verify by looking at versus theory or pure logic. So there's no, uh, an example would be there's no singing frogs, no singing or dancing frogs. Remember that? Hello, my baby. So there's no singing or dancing frogs. This is an empirical generalization because we have never seen a singing and dancing frog. A frog is not a definition or concept. It's an observed thing, something experienced. It's empirical versus a concept. Like you might say, oh, there's the concept of the frog, you know, with our archetypes. Yeah, no, 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 no. There's concepts and then there's empirical. So, I mean, this is, you could see a frog, right? We, we are, our concept of the frog comes from empirical evidence. So the generalization of there not being a singing frog, a singing and dancing frog can only be refuted by the empirical evidence of observing a singing and dancing frog. You say, look, there's a dog, a frog that can sing and dance that will refute <laughs> the claim, right? The generalization. So the generalization of a frog can only be refuted by empirical evidence of seeing a singing and dancing frog. Now you've refuted it. The generalization of a can can only be refuted by differences in the semantics of the definition or the concept of a can, you know, or how one is interpreting that definition. One cannot claim that a plastic container, plastic cylinder refutes the concept of a can because a plastic cylinder is not within the, the definition of a can. It's not the same concept. It's not the same schema. So, uh, so counter examples refute. What about counterclaims? Well, if you're ever a kid you, and you're ever in an argument, you know, you hear counterclaims all the time by kids and by Marxists. <laughs> counter, a counterclaim is just claiming the opposite. Counterclaims do not refute anything. For example, all pine trees are plants. The counter claim to that would be not all pine trees are plants. <laughs> the counter claim is just a statement. It's an assertion that does not prove anything or even evidence towards anything. Another example, she's a teenager. A counter claim is she is not a teenager. Well, the counter claim may be true, but it, is, it does not prove anything. It is therefore a waste of time with no evidence to back it up. If one was instead to say she is not a teenager, according to her license, she is 20 years old. That evidence is an example 
So the refutation comes from the counterexample of the evidence of her license. So you still need the counterexample, right? If the claim itself does nothing. So revising generalizations. What happens if you refute somebody and then they revise their generalizations? If you prove a generalization wrong, the arguer uh, may only retreat a little bit by adding weasel words that are also called modal terms or verb helpers to their premise. Weasel words or modal terms or verb helpers usually go in front of a verb. For example, you can have the word can, may, could, should, must, might. You know, they, they qualify a premise. When you hear someone talk about qualifiers, they're talking about weasel words. Here's an example. All Canadians believe X. A counterexample of a Canadian that does not believe X uh, at the weasel word summer most, most Canadians believe X. So now your counterexample no longer refutes it, but the strength of the claim is now much weaker. Using weasel words may not save the argument. A lot of the time, generalizations are just assertions based on nothing and are completely fictitious. This does not stop them from being used. Uh, what's an example that a weasel word uh, would not save an argument? Um, Sam is illiterate. Sam because, hold on. Sam is illiterate because Sam is an American and all Americans are illiterate. This is insulting to Americans and untrue, but the logic is valid. A counterexample to refute it would be Mark Twain is a literary genius and he was an American. This destroys the argument. If the arguer tried to weasel out with weasel words by saying Sam is illiterate because Sam is an American and some Americans are illiterate. Now, this is a logically invalid argument. You know, whenever an argument is parsed, is that a word? Is that the word? I know it's a word, parsed. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Qualifiers. Whenever an argument has qualifiers and weasel words, alarm bells should be ring. Should be ring? Should ring. <laughs> they very well, these, these people who use weasel words are very well trying to deceive you. So what does deceive mean? It's the intentional act or statement which hides the truth or promotes a belief which is untrue. So then what does mislead mean? Mislead is giving the wrong impression or idea, but it may not be intentional. So deception and deceiving is different than misleading. So to refute generalizations, look for exceptions to test their generalization. Now for vagueness and ambiguity. Vague. What's the difference? Vague is foggy. It has no sharp boundaries. Vague foggy, vague, ambiguous is, means that there are two or more definitions. So for an example of vague, you could say, yeah, he's a fat guy. Well, how fat is fat? You know, or an example of ambiguous is the microfilm is in the pen. Well, what does pen mean? Does that mean a pig pen? Does it mean a writing pen? You know, or, or another example might be, uh, I need to book. So does that mean you need to book a reservation? Does that mean you need to run? Because I got a book out of here. Sometimes it just means to leave. Do I need? Does I need? I need to book. Mean that I just need to leave. So there's three different meanings from the same sentence. There's that. That is ambiguous. There's more than one meaning. Of course, critical or context is critical. But if the premise is the premise, premise is too ambiguous or vague, 
you can dismiss it because of that. Vague words like meaningful or great are horrible words to put in a premise, but you'll see them all the time in law, and the law is infested with vague words. So when evaluating premises, look for generalizations, suppress premises that are generalizations, and look, then look for an example, uh, a counterexample to that generalization. So this is probably uh, good for this one. My mouth's getting dry. Next episode will be episode 21, where I'll continue uh, with some more on-premise evaluation. I think there's too much for one podcast. I'll cover uh, specific and limited claims, accuracy versus precision, testimony, explanations, maybe something else. We'll see. I don't know. See you then. Thank you.